African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. South African and international companies who are legends of empowerment will be honored at the 15th annual Oliver Empowerment Awards on the 14th of April at Empress Palace in Johannesburg. This is a special year for the awards and it only seems right that this time is taken to honor those organizations who have generated real impact in the transformation space. Channel Africa will be there and will bring you a live broadcast at 1900 hours Central African time of the Minister of Science and Technology Naledi Pando, guest speaker at the 15th Annual Oliver Empowerment Awards on the 14th of April. With a geared focus on making sure the younger generation is not redundant in the job market over the coming years. Join us as we promote empowerment, development and growth of our continent's youth. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. A very good morning and welcome to yet another interactive installment of African Dialogue. You tuned in to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. I'm your host, Asanda Mazzaunyane, and we're currently on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. On the program today, we'll look at the Global Conference on Agricultural Research for Development that was held in Johannesburg, South Africa this week. We'll discuss that right after we get our news update with Jolani Tulo. Thank you, Asanda. Good morning. United Nations top official on the prevention of genocides says the question of identity and diversity continues to be of serious concern even 22 years after the genocide in Rwanda. UN Secretary General's Special Advisor Adama Dieng slammed what he pointed to as unacceptable rhetoric from nationalist leaders, particularly in Europe and the United States, seeking to exclude people from their countries on the basis of race, religion or ethnicity. Dieng also took a swipe at the current Republican presidential frontrunner in the United States, Donald Trump. Identity issue is today a serious issue we have to look into. When I hear every day uh, politicians around the world, be it in the Western world, be it in Asia, uh, uh, using uh, outrageous language, languages, language of exclusion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When I hear the nationalistic people uh, in Europe, 
And even in the United States, when this aspirant candidate to the presidency, to not name him, Donald Trump, made uh, a, a statement against, uh, I would say, Muslim, I say this is unacceptable. Mm -hmm. We have all to stand up because we are all human beings. Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe is to meet the powerful war veterans movement on Thursday. 10,000 former combatants from the 70s War of Liberation are expected to air their grievances on welfare issues as well as factionalism within ZANU-PF. Mugabe, the patron of, war vet- of the War Veterans Association, will publicly address the gathering before retreating to closed-door discussions. In 1997, Mugabe gave in to the pressure from the group and awarded the former fighters hundreds of millions of U.S. dollars in war compensation that led to the crash of the Zimbabwean dollar. Shinga Nyoka reports. The ex-combatants will push for more state benefits, but more importantly, they're expected to criticize what they see as a lack of respect for war veterans within ZANU-PF. In February, police brutally dispersed a planned gathering prompted by utterances by the First Lady. The war veterans minister who led the meeting was later fired for disloyalty. He is expected to attend these discussions. The tensions within the war veterans movement are seen as symptomatic of the wider succession battle between those perceived to support Vice President Emsim Nangagwa and the G40, a group of young party leaders aligned to the First Lady. South Africa's ANC Secretary-General Gwere Mantashe has warned that civil society organizations who are involved in a campaign to pressure President Jacob Zuma to resign are trading on dangerous grounds. The Unite Against Corruption movement led by ANC veterans, leading clerics, activists and former judges marched to the Constitutional Court in Johannesburg on Wednesday. Mantashe has taken a swipe at Zulin Zuma Vavi, the former General Secretary of the Labour Federation Kosatu, for his involvement in the coalition. Vavi wanted to be the president of the ANC, promoted by Jim. When that was didn't happen, they, they, they decided to walk away. And if they are going there to plot whatever, it's expected of them. When you walk away out of an organization because your ambitions are not fulfilled, uh, you can do anything. You, it becomes a desperate situation. Uh, desperate people are, are very dangerous because they can set the country alight and uh, only wake up when we're all in ashes. And finally, four Mozambican nationals who tried to smuggle stolen motorcycles across the border into Mozambique from South Africa have been arrested and are to appear in court soon. The suspects, aged between 35 and 51, were using a van with a trailer loaded with three motorcycles concealed and half-stripped. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Thank you, Jolane, for that news update. Remember, you tuned in to African Dialogue, and we come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. My name is Asanda Mazaunyane. Good morning to you, and thanks for joining us. You're also welcome to interact with us via Twitter. Our handle is at Channel Africa. Uh, Facebook, we're also there, or you can SMS your views on plus 27 and email is info at channelafrica.org. And also, if you're listening, 
listening from America, you may call us on 605-475-1711 at no extra costs. Now, let's get to the business of the day. The Global Conference on Agricultural Research for Development, uh, GCARD, paved the way and set the tone on how the country's agricultural industry can address some of the challenges affecting the South African from an agricultural and economic standpoint. As South Africa struggles to deal with rising food prices, the ripple effects of the worst drought to hit the country in 20 years and issues of water shortage, leaders and agricultural experts from around the world gathered in South African shores for the conference in Johannesburg at the Birchwood Hotel between the 5th and the 8th of April. To help us unpack what really took place at the summit, we're joined on the line by Dr. Jean-Lucas Restrepot Ibiza, who's chairperson of the CFAR. We also have Dr. Martin Kropf, who's Director General of the International Maize and Wheat Improvement Centre, as well as Mr. Jimmy Smith, who's the Director General at International Livestock Research Institute. We welcome all of you to African Dialogue. Hello. Thank you for having us online. Delighted to be here. Thanks. Uh, the first question I'd like is, can you briefly tell us what came out of the conference? Can I start with you, Martin? Well, uh, Martin is not here. It's Jimmy and myself and and Robin that works in a program called Pabra and on beans that you talk later. So let me let me let me begin that uh, by saying that we are right in the middle of the conference. Uh, it's a uh, it's uh, so it's work in progress. By the end of uh, tomorrow afternoon. We will start to wrap up and to get uh, the conclusions of a large number of, of panelists and, and participants. We have over about 500 people working on, on precisely this issue, the, the impact, the resilience, the climate uh, uh, change, uh, to make sure that agriculture is uh, sustainable, not only for Africans, but on a global basis. Uh, John Lucas, can you tell us about your company or organization so that our listeners, our listeners can get an idea of what you do? Well, basically, I have a, a my 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 hat here is as the, the chair of a, a forum called the Global Forum for Agricultural Research, and basically, what we do is that uh, we work a lot of in advocacy towards uh, promoting agricultural research for development, uh, which is inclusive, which is not only about uh, researchers discussing amongst themselves, but uh, involving extension, education, the NGOs, and of course, uh, farmer representatives to make sure that what we do, that what the donors uh, uh, do and the the research community uh, do uh, really impact uh, the farmer that is, is a research that is uh, pertinent, that is demand-driven, and that can have uh, the highest impact possible. So what we do as a forum is we are a convener of a very large number of constituencies from across uh, the, the, the board and from all of the regions uh, globally. Uh, uh, Jimmy, you discussed issues like... Um Scaling up from research to impact and others that you can tell us. What what was said around those? Okay, well, um, 
we, I, I work in research, and so are many of my colleagues at this conference, but not all of us, and there are many at this conference who work on scaling technologies. That's one of the big challenges of research these days, is how you get from good research uh, findings to scaling. And one of the importance of this conference is the partnership it creates to help us build this bridge between research and development. And so um, to scale research, we are using many approaches, working with the development communities directly, uh, NGOs and, 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 and so on, but also with the private sector who help us to take uh, research findings to farmers directly. So seed companies, semen uh, companies, and, and so on. Jean-Lucas, you mentioned that as part of your agricultural research, you involve uh, farmer representatives. What systems and mechanisms are there to assist the resource of uh, poor farmers? Okay, well, basically the, the whole system is about uh, farmers and especially uh, poor farmers. So we've had, uh, for example, this uh, CGIAR uh, system working for, for a good number of decades now that can demonstrate very high impact uh, and technology uptake by very, you know, uh, uh, small farming uh, communities, resource poor uh, uh, farmers. So th there's been already a, a lot, lot of impact. The, the thing is, you know, that it's not enough. We're, we still have this... Uh, goals, these development goals where we are seeing that poverty, rural poverty is still very high, that there is still a lot of hunger, malnutrition, that there is a resource, natural resource degradation, that uh, there is not uh, enough uh, land uh, to feed a rising population. So we need to still increase productivity. And the, the role of this uh, whole uh, system and, and, the, and, and our forum is focused on how to do that, uh, taking into account and having these small farmers uh, at, the, at the center. Uh, Dr. Martin, as we stand currently, do you think there is enough uh, agri-food research? Uh, I'm not Dr. Martin, but I could uh, answer that. Uh, and <coughs> Uh, you raised the question where there is enough uh, agri-food research. <coughs> I think that one of the elements of this forum is bringing together research institutions that uh, contribute in developing technologies, particularly focusing on key and major food that serve the rural poor in a number of uh, countries, the continents, Asia and Africa. And uh, as uh, has been said here, one of the elements is that uh, what is it that is required from the end users, from the farmers, from the market, and how does that shape up the kind of research required? The other element to consider is that as, as we continue, first of all, there is an increase in population, so there is an increased demand for food. But also there are changes like climate change which are putting pressures on the food systems, on the food production. So what really we are seeing is that there are new areas 
that we require to address so that we can at least keep the food supply, uh, but even increase because the population is also increasing. Okay, and uh, can I just confirm, am I right in, in referring to you as Dr. Martin Klopf? Uh, my name is Robin Ruchara. Okay. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break here on African Dialogue, and we'll be back after this to talk more on this issue. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605 605- Four seven one seven double one. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is African Dialogue here on Channel Africa. My name is Asanda Mazzaunyane, your host for the show, and welcome to you if you've just joined us. We're discussing the Global Conference on Agricultural Research for Development, which was uh, or is still underway here in South Africa in Johannesburg. Before the break, uh, Robin, we were speaking about whether there is enough agri-food research, and I want to bring you in here as well, uh, uh, Jean Lucas, where you did speak about high-impact technologies that are there to assist the poor farmers. But I want to find out how how accessible are these technologies, given the fact that you did mention that there is still issues of poverty around farmers. Is it uh, something that's more accessible to them? Is there fees involved that are they able to actually afford and access these high-impact technologies? I think that, that the question, uh, if you say, is, is, the, is there enough research, is there enough technology well, you always need to keep improving uh, uh, research results and having uh, better uh, technologies to, to deal with, with productivity. But the, the clarity we have is that that is not enough. There must be uh, like enabling environments where uh, you have, for example, and we were hearing this morning about the Agricultural Research Council in, in South Africa, how they are working very hard in in, in a in working in educating uh, experts, te- technicians from from the communities, so they recover an extension system. Without extension, without technical assistance, uh, it's very difficult to transfer that knowledge to a local community. So we so we need everywhere, and even in South Africa, and it's being resolved to to bridge those gaps and to have a established channels for uh, for extension and then of course that's not enough either you need a uh, local innovation systems where you can involve the municipalities when you, when you need also some microfinance or, or or rural financing schemes so at the end of the day for for technical change to happen for a farmer to have farmer for technology uptake it's not only a responsibility of research, but you really need an enabling environment where we have the part- you need to have the participation of many types of actors and institutions involved. Uh, Jimmy, what local innovation systems can be implemented, or are there examples of those that we see currently? Well, we were just having a discussion about uh, the case of South Africa in which the livestock sector, for example, is, is, 
is really thriving, 47% of the agriculture GDP. And of course, in this country where uh, a good part of the land is not suitable for cropping, the livestock sector is, is very important. So the technologies that is improving beef supply, better forages, better breeds, uh, artificial insemination, getting farmers linked to markets and so on are all technologies that are quite relevant to South Africa and are being employed. In the, in the animal sector, for example, as, as incomes rise, people demand more and more animal source foods. So the question for South Africa, are you going to import it all from somewhere else or are you going to be able to produce some of it here or most of it while also improving livelihoods of particularly small farmers in doing that? And so the technologies that we are discussing, um, as my colleagues have said, are targeting uh, the poorer people uh, who are trying to, to connect the market feed their families, but also uh, have enough to, to sell in the market and improve their livelihoods overall. Uh, Robin, how dire is the situation of climate change exactly, especially when it comes to how it affects crop production? Um, uh, I think as you've heard, the issue of climate change uh, is an issue which is current. There's a lot of discussion about it. And uh, particularly, we zero in on the element of heat and drought. Uh, you are aware of the current situation in the southern Africa where drought has been uh, a major problem. But, but one element is the long term, but another element is the short term, the variability, the unpredictability. And the issue is that how do communities respond and how can they be supported to respond to these seasonal variabilities which uh, impact on their production. Uh, there are a couple of programs that are looking and trying to predict what may happen in the, in the, in the long term, but then there are also efforts which look at the cropping system, the, the agricultural systems, on how, what are the vulnerabilities of the different sectors that are being, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, implemented for crop, crop sector, livestock sector, and then in the short term, what are some of the mitigation factors, which ways that some of those farmers either want to invest in livestock or in pro uh, crop production, can they be able to uh, mitigate and adapt with those changes? So some of the efforts being done is really to developing inventories, profiles of these pictures, and, and, and offer short-term solutions and develop information like weather and other elements that enable communities to be informed of some of the short-term measures that can be done while looking at the long-term. Uh, for example, uh, there are cases where varieties which are tolerant to drought or heat have been developed and disseminated, and some of these enable farmers to grow in case of drought or in case of, uh, of, 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 of increased you know, temperatures. But on the whole is how do we adjust our agricultural systems 
to adapt to these short-term changes and also looking at the long-term strategies as well. And speaking about the adjusting of agricultural systems, a flood forecasting tool is in uh, development in Sudan, which will better prepare farm fields in advance of uh, floods in order to mitigate the change. Jean-Lucas, how effective is this flood forecasting tool? Can it be implemented in every uh, country of Africa, or is it something that obviously starts with research and then from there you determine which countries would, uh, this would be most effective in? Well, I think there is a lot already going on uh, in Africa uh, in terms of uh, very strong programs uh, that uh, deal with climate in general, the excess uh, runoffs of water and also deficits. And and there is already a number of uh, village uh, pilots where you have communities uh, not only getting information in terms of a short-term forecast uh, to help them with decision-making, but actually using that, uh, that, that information. So it's not only futuristic stuff we're talking about, but there is a lot happening in the ground, and more and more IT communication companies, etc., are being able to scale up uh, these kind of tools that are, have been developed in the, in the past years. So I believe in terms of uh, the information platforms, information exchange, access to information, uh, of course there is still a gap to reach every community, uh, be be everywhere, but there is already, I think, enough knowledge and tools that uh, are being spread out and that will help at least to have good information for decision-making in what's coming, what may happen in the coming week, in the coming month in terms of of weather in my locally because uh, weather at the end of the day impacts it's a fully local issue that needs to address, be addressed that way and meanwhile uh, you get you give the opportunity for researchers to as robin said develop these new tools in terms of genetics etc where where farmers can also incorporate them to handle the situation a bit a bit better and speaking of those new tools, uh, Jimmy, there's an, ex- an example is in Benin where the farmers there are adopting uh, two types of wasps that are, you know, parasitic wasps to fight uh, pod borers. How effective is this? Is this maybe one of the technologies and tools discussed in the, the conference? Well, I, I'm not familiar with that particular technology myself. Um, I'm more on the livestock side than on the crop side. Um, but there are many uh, of those kinds of biological control um, approaches around the world which are quite effective. Of course, it takes considerable research to be sure that the biological approach that is being used is appropriate because um, without that, um, sometimes the predator becomes the predator, the predating becomes the predator. But um, uh, generally, biological control approaches have been very useful in many parts of the world and are encouraged because overuse of pesticides also have their implications um, for farmers in terms of cost, but also in terms of their environmental effects. Some researchers, Robin, have said that Southern Africa has too few dams and that also some of the existing dams are too shallow. Is this something that was discussed in the conference? No, that wasn't discussed, uh, but, but I think generally the issue of uh, drought 
and uh, the its impact on production, I think, is an element that uh, was raised as a concern. Uh, but the question is whether it's because of dams or the other. There are other ways of managing, you know, drought. Uh, how they are what we call it means to conserve water or mechanism of production where you minimize uh, the water usage, but also uh, ways to farm that uh, enable use of certain varieties which are more tolerant to drought conditions. But that could be also a possibility, and uh, then the key is that uh, how do you avail the water? The irrigation, which is also an option, uh, that may be able to offer solutions in some of the cases. Mm. In the recent past, uh, Jean Lucas, we've seen and witnessed floods. Maybe that's on the opposite of uh, you know drought that uh, Robin is speaking about. Shouldn't we be harvesting the water from the floods? Uh, absolutely. I think that when you talk about climate change and especially short-term climate variability, what we will be are seeing and will be seeing more and more is that what used to be a normal seasonal weather, the rainy season and the dry season, will not be as stable anymore and you will have these tremendous uh, floods as well as, and I don't want to be pessimistic, but that's the, what's really happening, and also these very, very strong droughts. So that means that given, that's a given. So uh, countries, in terms of their thinking, the policy, uh, in, they need to start investing in how to manage that excess and, uh, and, and, and lower levels of water. Uh, and, of course, they will need to consider not only what happens at the farm level, but what they do in terms of infrastructure at, at sub-regional and regional levels as, as well. And that's, that's going to be very important uh, to keep sure not only that there is water management and, 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 uh, in, in agriculture, but also uh, we're talking about human consumption availability, etc. So water is a big issue uh, that's, that's difficult to tackle and that involves policymakers and important uh, budgets and resources from, from the governments. And maybe that's where the flood forecasting tool can maybe also come in which, with the example of Sudan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Those are the kinds of tools that are, are also important for policymakers to, to make decisions. Let's gonna, we're going to take another sh- uh, quick uh, commercial break and we'll discuss. I want to ask uh, also on that water and uh, flooding and drought issue when we come back after the break. You're listening to African Dialogue here on Channel Africa. Channel Africa is turning 50 this year. And to celebrate this milestone, Channel Africa invites you, our listeners, to send us anniversary messages. It's simple. Just call us on this number, plus 2783 and follow the prompts to leave a short message. We would love to hear from you, and we are looking forward to hear your well wishes. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. If you have friends and family in the United 
States of America who enjoy staying in touch with news from home. Tell them they can call 605-475-1711 and listen to Channel Africa from any mobile phone. The best part is there is no extra cost for the call when it originates from the U.S. So tell your friends and family in the U.S. to listen to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is African Dialogue. Welcome if you've just joined us. My name is Asanda Mazzaunyane discussing the Global Conference on Agricultural Research. I want to come back on the issue of water. Um, Robin, maybe I can pose this one to you as the director of the Pan-African Bean Research Alliance. Africa's first water fund, the Nairobi Water Fund, was launched last year. And this basically encourages water users that are the big companies and industries to pay the the smaller farmers to manage and keep the watershed clean and reduce soil erosion. It's been said that this has already worked in Ecuador. How can this work? How, what is the success rate so far, the Nairobi Water Fund? Uh, the Nairobi Water Fund uh, is really part of our team and actors or stakeholders involved in the water. And the idea here is to work together so that they can be able to uh, ensure that uh, the water is available, particularly for use in the cities. And also where it's obtained is uh, people who live in those areas are able to be kind of having incentivized so that they don't... uh, mismanage their environment so that you can lead to uh, soil erosion, silting, and affecting the dams where water is obtained. So it's really a partnership between the different actors, including people who generate electricity because some of the areas where this takes place is where uh, dams where water is uh, is used for generating electricity. So the concept there is that how can the group work together and what incentives do they need to provide such that uh, the people in from the catchment areas, right, those who uh, manage the dams and the users are all benefiting without having negative effects from the different uh, actors. And some of the support for the fund is really to enable and support some of the activities and uh, some of the actors so that they can be encouraged to maintain and support the whole uh, concept. Uh, um, uh, Jimmy, how dire are the effects of drought and uh, flooding on livestock? Well, just uh, what, three or four years ago, there was a major drought in the Horn of Africa from mm. which the region has not yet recovered. Um, when there's extreme drought, um, people can move sometimes into camps, but they are not able to take their livestock, so they, they perish where they are. And um, after the drought, it's necessary to restock these areas because this is what people rely on on their livelihoods. So droughts are enormously important for livestock. Um, and so part of the work we're doing is uh, providing insurance for livestock keepers 
there are lots of insurance, traditional insurance, for uh, sedentary livestock producers, but there's not good insurance for pastoralists who move from place to place. So we've just developed uh, what is called an index-based livestock insurance scheme where we insure the livestock against drought, and um, this uh, makes it unnecessary um, for development agencies to have to restock the livestock. It's paid out by the insurance company rather than development agencies at the end of it. What about encouraging the use of beans as a source of protein instead of meat? Well, that's that's well that's encouraged, but not everybody. You cannot live by bread alone, you know. Um, so you can't live by beans alone. There are lots of people um, who like to eat uh, like animal source foods, and as a matter of fact, animal source foods is the right fastest growing commodity around the world. As incomes rise, people can diversify their diets, and they diversify it into more animal source foods. So yes, beans are mightily important for produce, uh, uh, providing protein, but in the case of animal source foods, they sometimes contain more of the essential amino acids that are not found in plant sources. So you need both. Yeah, I guess we can't all be vegetarians, eh? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Jean-Lucas, there's currently the catchphrase renewable energy, which is being used in all sections of the population. Was it something that came up at the conference? Uh, yeah, there some, we have uh, some, uh, some participants that bring that uh, perspective into, the, into, the talk, into our talks. It's not a central theme, but it's very clear that, for example, if we talk about agro-energy, uh, energy from plants uh, for use in cars or in industry, etc. There is been, there's been a this discussion on competition with food crops, etc. So that's a thing that keeps coming that keeps coming out. Also, we are we are we are seeing that in production systems and uh, the the more the the technology on solar panels, solar er, energy, for example, advances, we are seeing that. Those prices are becoming uh, very low, and for example, for livestock, for a number of, of uh, facilities for bringing water to uh, the plants, animals, we are getting these new energies, alternative energies, that are being more and more uh, of, of uh, value and, and use in, the, in agriculture. So it's, it's clearly something that's part of uh, what needs to happen in agriculture to, to prosper. Renewable and alternative sources of energy is very important in the livestock sector, mm. particularly from the standpoint of waste disposal. In dairy farms, hog farms, poultry farms, and so on, what you do with the waste is an important issue. And so biogas digesters where you can use the waste to generate energy, um, and then, of course, what is left over is good manure for a cropping system is a very important topic within the livestock sector. Are, are governments in, being encouraged to bring into, you know, the, the solar energy, renewable energy, implementing uh, or uh, putting in solar panels in farms where there are poor farmers, especially in the context of South Africa? Is government being encouraged to maybe give incentives on that, uh, Jimmy? Uh, yeah, um, I don't know about the particular case of South Africa, but I know this is, is quite common 
in many parts of the world, not only for farmers, but for households generally, where governments would give tax rebates or a subsidy to people who will put up panels so that they will cut down the use on electricity and, and, and eventually some people put some electricity back into the grid. So yes, it's, um, a policy, policy tools are being used in many places to encourage people not only to cut down on the energy, but to have alternative sources of supply. And I, I'm sure it's happening here in South Africa. Uh, Robin, there was mention of Ghana intercropping banana and coffee, which has been found to be a climate change resilience. Explain how this works and what other crops can be done the same. Uh, if, I, if I may, I, yeah, just, just to, to contribute. What, what okay. There is this tendency in agriculture. Agriculture under the Green Revolution was simplified. So it was it turned into more monoculture, high-input agriculture. Now, when with, with these changing conditions and with with no, not being a, able to capture that much productivity gains from that approach, we're seeing much more complex approaches in terms of uh, using uh, agrobiodiversity and devising more complex systems, such as that uh, uh, banana coffee, for example. So we're seeing a lot of silvopastoral or agroforestry uh, systems that are that are starting to demonstrate a lot of value, uh, more resilience, and uh, also uh, uh, at the end uh, being economically profitable uh, for farmers. So, so I, I believe we're we're going to be seeing a lot a lot of new agroecological approaches, uh, an agriculture that's a little bit more complex, that's understood. Uh, and incorporates a lot more components that the more traditional agriculture we have seen in the in the past decades. And the example you gave is a perfect example of how things that were cultivated. There was one banana field and one coffee field. Together, there is some uh, relations uh, among the plants that uh, make the output even better for both crops. So, is that essentially what intercropping is? That intercropping is one way of agro agroforestry or yeah. Okay. Exactly. All right, let's take another break here on African Dialogue. We'll be back right after this. She's been doing some homework before this. South African and international companies who are legends of empowerment will be honoured at the 15th annual Oliver Empowerment Awards on the 14th of April at Empress Palace in Johannesburg. This is a special year for the awards and it only seems right that this time is taken to honour those organisations who have generated real impact in the transformation space. Channel Africa will be there and will bring you a live broadcast at 1900 hours Central African time of the Minister of Science and Technology Naledi Pando, guest speaker at the 15th Annual Oliver Empowerment Awards on the 14th of April. With a geared focus on making sure the younger generation is not redundant in the job market over the coming years. Join us as we promote empowerment, development and growth of our continent's youth. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. 
this is uh, African Dialogue. In closing, gentlemen, can I just ask, and starting with you, uh, Robin, briefly in 30 seconds, how do we make careers in the agricultural sector more attractive? I think that's one of the really key questions, particularly with the youth. How do you make it more productive? Uh, I think agriculture should not be viewed as uh, where people who retire go to work. I think it's a uh, it should be a commercial element, but also it produces the food that is required. So I think there is an element of policy to support and make it attractive. Mm-hmm. Some elements which discourage people from, like mechanization, investment in terms of financial support, and also looking at it as a business should be some of the aspects which is can make agriculture more productive. I mean, okay, let me give Jimmy a chance as well, Robin. Sorry to cut you there. Jimmy? Yeah, I, I pick up very much on Robin, making agriculture a business, making it modern, um, uh, bringing, taking the drudgery out of it so that people uh, can find it a very good profession. Mm. And in the case of animal agriculture, it's particularly attractive because it, um, animal source foods are high-value foods, so poultry and dairy and so on mm. are quite attractive to, to young, younger people, particularly in the agriculture sector. Okay, and John lucas Well, you know, the average uh, age of uh, farmers worldwide is like 55 years old, so we need a renewal. You, we need a new farmer, the, a young farmer, and agriculture needs to be attra- attractive, good business, and you need to be able to sustain your family and send them to good schools. So that's what we're here for in, in, in many ways. Okay, thank you so much for making time. Unfortunately, we are out of time, so uh, very good uh, morning still to you, all of you. Good morning and thank you for having us. It's a pleasure. This is African Dialogue and it's goodbye from me, Asanda Matsawinyane. We get now an update from the Economics Desk and Wisani Matebula has the details. Good morning. Thanks, Asanda. Africa is happy with the revelation of uh, Panama Papers that shows how individuals have been laundering money, dodging taxes and other malpractices through a Panamian law firm. The Africa Union Administration says this will help make the world believe that illicit financial flow is real and that there is a need to tackle it as soon as possible. The founder of Transparency International, the Global Coalition Against Corruption, Peter Elgin, says the revelation of the Panama Files is good. I think it is very important to look carefully at uh, the type of involvement of the many people who are being brought into the open right now. I think we should remember that it's not a crime to own a company uh, where you don't disclose the ownership. So that by itself is not a crime. But it is a mechanism which makes it very easy for corrupt people, for drug dealers, for um, uh, for, uh, organized crime to hide flows of funds. Farm mechanization on the continent is the only way Africa can fast-track its agro-processing ambitions. This according to President of Marketing at Massey Ferguson, Steve Clark, was speaking to the media, head of an agricultural summit in Lusaka, Zambia. Amina Akram reports. The summit, the first of its kind on the continent, is expected to attract over 3,000 farmers, 
mainly from the Sadiq region. Up to 100 machines will be on show to encourage farmers to move into new generation farming. Agriculture employs 65% of sub-Saharan Africa's labor force and accounts for 32% of gross domestic product. Farm mechanization still remains a somewhat neglected element on the continent. Nigerian President Muhammadu Buhari will sign a loan deal with China during a visit next week. Nigeria has been in talks with a Chinese state export-import bank of, uh, for a loan for months. A financial source says the loan will fund construction work of Chinese firms for infrastructure projects in Nigeria. And Kenya Central Bank has placed Chase Bank Kenya under receivership for 12 months to protect depositors, creditors and the public. Chase Bank experienced liquidity difficulties following inaccurate social media reports that the departure of two directors was not able to meet its financial obligations. And in Egypt, the central bank is holding an additional foreign exchange auction ahead of a visit from Saudi King Salman to the country. The bank regularly holds one foreign currency auction on Tuesday when it sells 120 million US dollars. Egypt has been starved of hard currency since the 2011 uprising ousted the longtime leader Hosni Mubarak from power and drove away tourists and foreign investors, which were major sources of hard currency. And now for a look at your financial indicators this morning. Uh, the dollar trading at 15.12 South African rands at 10.82 Botswana Pula, 10.67 Zambian Kwacha. Also trading 0.72 the British pound and 0.87 against the euro commodities. Gold $1,226, platinum $946 per fine ounce. Brent crude oil hovering at $40.13 per barrel. That's your economics news for now. I'm back in an hour's time with another update. the globe every second there's always a breaking story culture enjoy for channel africa radio in ethiopia's capital addis ababa for channel africa i'm lillian strobach reporting from the icc in the hague reporting for channel africa i am hilda kekeloa in zambia our cutting edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned giving you the whole picture every time george muhango Channel Africa, Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Konyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Get to know Channel Africa and all the people who bring news, views, and great African entertainment. You can now catch Channel Africa on DSTV Audio Bouquet, Channel 902. Channel Africa. 
the voice of the African Renaissance. Today, sports fans, I am Musibudi Makura with the latest sports news at the hour. Starting off with football news, Real Madrid coach Zinedine Zidane urged his side to remain calm after the Champions, League's hope, um, Champions League hopes suffered a setback with a 2-0 defeat to um, 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 Wolfsburg in the first leg of the quarterfinal on Wednesday night. The Frenchman, who took over from the sacked Rafael Benitez back in January, said the 10-time European Cup winners could still t- turn the tie around in Madrid next week against Wolfsburg who are playing in their first quarterfinal. Real Madrid went into the game still on a high after their 2-1 victory over Barcelona in the El Clasico on Saturday and knowing that the Champions League remains their best hopes of silverware this season. Meanwhile, Manuel Pellegrini, Manchester City coach, praised his team after playing out to a 2 draw against Paris Saint-Germain in the first leg quarterfinal clash on Wednesday night. It's a very good result uh, because we play against a very good team and, and away and score two goals also is very important. But I think that the leg is absolutely open. We need to play a very good game in Manchester because we are going to play against a team that play well, that has very good players. And they normally, similar as our team, they try to play away or at home in the same, in the same way. So we have a difficult 90 minutes in Manchester. But uh, I'm happy about what uh, was the result tonight. On to rugby news, South Africa's Blitzpoker star Philip Snayman will become the ninth South African to play in 35 tournaments on the HSBC World Rugby 7 Series when he participates at the Hong Kong leg of the series this coming weekend. Snayman joins Maria um, Skuman, Carl Brown, Frankie Horn, Zwandile Stick, Chris Dry, Cecil Africa, as well as Bronco Dupree. Snayman says he is looking forward to the moment and wants to share it with his teammates. At the same time, Stamen says reaching the milestone is special and it made it's, it's what's made it more significant is by the fact that it is being played at the home of Sevens Rugby in Hong Kong. Stamen is hopeful that the Blitzwalker will do well in the tournament, even though they have never won in Hong Kong. On to netball news. The third season of the popular Brutal Food Netball Premier League begins in Pretoria on Friday and it could be the most competitive of them all. Bongiwe Somi, KwaZulu-Natal um, Kingdom Stars player, says her team is rearing to go. Um, we are definitely grateful for such an opportunity that the um, Brutal Food is bringing us for the Brutal Food Netball Premier League again for the best of the series here. Um, it's such a platform for all the netball uh, players and netball fans out there to just enjoy netball and for us definitely um, to know exactly what to prepare for and to have such so much game time because I really think that will also help us. So, yeah, we keep forward to it. We all nice and prepared. It's only like a day or two now. 
And finally, disgraced former Grand Slam doubles champion Bob Hewitt has been expelled from the International Tennis Hall of Fame due to his 2015 conviction of rape and sexual assault in South Africa. The 76-year-old Australian-born Hewitt was sentenced to six years in prison last May after being found guilty of assaulting three underage girls he was coaching in South Africa during the 1980s as well as the 1990s. The allegations first surfaced back in 2011. Hewitt was inducted in 1992 and was in definitely suspended from the Newport, Rhode Island-based Hall of Fame back in 2012. While those are sports news at the South, stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.